Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus, coming to you on the 17th of January, the year of our Lord, 2024, episode 567, and this is the promised detour to discuss school choice. Now, I'm sure I have touched this uh, subject a time or two in the past, uh, but being that it's hot in the field again, it's a, it's a topic of interest, if you will. It's something that is concerning other people. I figured we would take a few minutes or a show, if you prefer, to revisit this. Now, I imagine I can basically cover this in about 20 minutes, so we'll see where we go. Before we get into the meat of the show, let me remind you the best way you can help me continue to grow the show, make a difference, and impact where we live is to like, share, and subscribe to this program. Follow me on your podcatcher of choice. Join me on the social media that you visit. Currently, I have a page and a group at Facebook at According to Callus, as well as showing up over at MeWe and Gab, According to Callus. So again, do your part to help me. And if you're feeling particularly motivated, do me a solid rate and or review this program on your favorite social media or podcatcher or perhaps even YouTube. And with that, here we go. All right. So school choice. Where do we start? Okay. Let me reel things back just a little bit here. Once upon a time, we had a governor named Ann Richards. When Ann Richards was the governor here in Texas, she and some of her people came up with this idea that they were going to take money from some of the richer districts and redistribute that money to the lower income districts. It was tagged with the moniker Robin Hood. So what's of interest to me here is people always seem to forget Robin Hood, the story, the way it was, you know, mythologically understood, right? The the basis behind the uh, story is Government is taking more money than the people can afford to pay. In other words, they're bankrupting their own peasants. They are punishing their people by overtaxing them. So Robin Hood did not steal from the rich. He took the money back from government. Now, also keeping in mind that at this time, the Church of England was subsidized by the government of England. So... If you took money from the church or you took money back from the sheriff or the king, you were taking money essentially from government and giving it back to the people that had it stolen from them in the first place. So if you put a proper context to what Robin Hood actually means, this fails and it should not be called Robin Hood. But the modern interpretation, right, the Disney-fied version or the modern American version is he stole from the rich and gave to the poor. Well, if you overlook the context of why those people are rich, i.e. they're in government, then yeah, at least nominally, that would be a true or a fair interpretation of it. So you got to deal with the idea, um, who are the true rich, the government or the merchants or some combination of both? Well, for the purposes of this discussion, nobody's rich. If if you became successful and you moved to a neighborhood or a community and you invest a lot of money in your school district, um, that was a decision you made. And 
that was a cost you incurred. Then to come by from the state level and scrape off a percentage of that because, quote, you have more money than you need based upon assessments, which were based upon perceived value, which were based upon people's willingness to move to that location, you see how this is a giant circle. So in my mind, the problem is we still have this ridiculously named program in place that is seeking to, quote, level the playing field when there would be a number of other ways that could be accomplished that might be less painful to the general public. I don't know that, but it's let's have a little discussion there. Okay, so now that we've explained what Robin Hood is, what it was, and I'm not going to even bother to explain how it works in Texas because it doesn't really matter. They, they assess a certain amount against districts that have quote unquote excess money and give it to other districts. And then those other districts find ways to spend the money that maybe aren't even the best for the pupils they have there. So we can approach this a number of different ways. One, how do we structure the funding so you have adequate schools and good schools in your district? Two, how do you determine who those students are and who gets to determine what schools they want to go to? And three, could you have overlapping or competitive districts in the same geographic area? So let's take a moment. Let's let's step back and consider each in turn. And, and I might amalgamize them just a little bit because this is a little bit of stream of consciousness or consciousness here. So when you talk about a school district, usually it's within a geographic area. So if I have a student that's in an elementary school and I determine as the parent, this elementary school is not giving me what I want for my child, as it is written right now, you really can't do anything about it. Now, you can choose to remove your student, your daughter, your son. So conceptually, the student in this specific elementary school, in a school district, right now I can remove student, go to private school. I can remove student and do homeschool or some variation thereof. And there's very little restriction, very little interference, but they keep all my money, right? They've already taken it. They say they give it back to me in services in the school district. And if I choose not to take advantage of it, the benefit is all to the school district, not to me. I'm not suggesting that you're ever going to be able to balance that out. But what I am suggesting is perhaps there's another way to look at it. So now option one would be, I have a student in a elementary school within my district, and that elementary school has a poor reputation, whether it's because of teachers, other staff, bad principal, bad location, old building. It doesn't matter what the excuse is. I'm not satisfied with that school. So One version of school choice would mean that I can go to my school district and say, I don't want my child going to primary school A. I want my child going to primary school B. Now, at a certain point, you're thinking to yourself, well, not everybody can go to school B. 
there's other limitations. There's other problems behind that. You're absolutely right. If you don't have transportation, that's a problem. If you don't have extended family to assist you with the transportation, that could be a problem. If you don't have additional money to drive that distance or deliver the child, that's an issue. Now, busing could maybe get thrown into the mix here or some version of carpooling. But again, that's something that where you're putting that responsibility back on the school district. I'm just trying to keep it as base simple as possible. So if if there's an incentive for a bunch of parents to pull their children from school A and go to school B within that district, that means that either school B will expand and school A potentially closes or school A figures out a way to improve their situation so that they can recruit other students to come to them. Okay, so that's an option to where within the same district, you can move your student from school A to school B. Now, there's another scenario here that plays out again within the same school district. You could have, it's a could, but you could have, um, and especially when you get to middle and high school, it's a little bit easier to tilt this, but typically you don't have 15 um, geographic schools in the high school level or even a middle school. But for the purpose of this discussion, we could say, well, school A runs more of a Montessori style program. School B focuses on English as a second language. School C focuses on uh, disability students. However you want to phrase that, just whether they need assistance for physical issues or speech or hearing. But this is what this school, so you can focus your resources in a specific school. All right. And then, you know, D, E, F can all find different things. And then obviously when you get to middle school or high school, now you can start targeting specific outcomes. Well, my student really excels in sports, but is mediocre at high level math or vice versa. Maybe they're really good at uh, high level math, but they're also good at sports. Well, theoretically, Within the school district, you're going to have two or three or four, and of course here at Frisco, you might have 12 high schools where you could choose between them which better suits your child. So within the district. So in either case, you're going to be able to, one, as a parent, choose the school that best fits the profile of your child or the best school profile that you think might fit the outcome you're looking for with your child, right? Okay, so this is how one version of the school choice works would work. The the second version would be why limited to districts? We could expand it to counties or surrounding counties. So say for instance, you live in Frisco. Now Frisco straddles two different counties. And if you're in Frisco, but you're dissatisfied with Frisco school district for whatever reason, and I'm not suggesting that you should be or you or whatever, just you you are What's to say that you say, hey, I'm going to reach out to Prosper School District or McKinney. Well, I don't know why you'd go from McKinney. Well, never mind. We're just going to leave out McKinney School District, uh, Allen or Plano or the Colony or Louisville or whatever those uh, Little Elm. All these adjoining or neighboring school districts within the county or the surrounding counties. You could choose to say, I think that this school district offers things that my school district doesn't, I should be able to transfer my student to this new district. Now, it would seem to me at that point, you could simply just change 
on your tax bill which school district you belong to. And that would incentivize and encourage the school district that you actually reside in to do a better job, to encourage you to stay. Now, that may or may not work long term. It may There might be workarounds and people that find loopholes and abuses. But it, at least in theory, it gives you an opportunity to where now you're not even bound by the district you live in. And again, you do run into the problem if let's say Louisville school district is just so awesome. Then everybody in the surrounding area wants to go to the Louisville schools that potentially defunds or derates the neighboring school districts. Well, yes, but they have every opportunity to change up their game, to do things differently, to incentivize other students to come there, to offer things that other school districts aren't offering and they could target their audience or their students. Uh, I know this is an interesting concept. I I know it's a work in uh, progress, right? And I don't suggest that it solves every problem. But again, so those are the two simplest versions of school choice within the district and within the area, right? So what does that get you? That gives you an incentive for your school district or your individual school to make sure that they are doing very well as to encourage and retain the students they have. The problem that we find oftentimes is if there's no direct competition, if there's no incentive for you as a customer to be treated well, you're not going to be treated well. Now, let me back up just a second here because anytime you talk about school choice or school anything, you're either attacking the teachers or the librarians. And you'll note that it is possible you can get a bad teacher or a bad group of teachers I haven't really met a bad librarian yet, but I'm sure that plausibly exists somewhere. Most people don't remove their children from a school based upon the actions of a singular teacher. Likewise, one or two bad teachers in a school district doesn't necessitate removing your student from a district. But again, incentives, encouraging, and basically getting scores, how happy are the students or the parents with the individual teachers does incentivize them to do a better job. Now I can hear some of the teachers out there. And I think this is a fair criticism on their end. I already have to teach to the test in order to keep my job and keep the district happy. You're absolutely right. I know a lot of that happens. So now I'm going to have to be catering to little Johnny and little Mary's parents. They're already a handful How am I supposed to deal with that? Well, the corollary here is if students are free to go to another district or free to go to another school within the district, it seems only reasonable that if that student or that parent of that student is such a problem that perhaps the principal or the vice principal could just make a recommendation. Well, I understand, Mr. Jones, that you're not very happy here. My recommendation is you consider going to another school. Or perhaps... You don't like this second grade teacher. May we put little Johnny or little Mary or little Susie in the, this other second grade class. When you offer these as solutions, well, again, then you're going to have the issue. Well, if Mrs. Smith, the teacher in second grade, don't only has 20 students and Mrs. Jones, also a teacher in second grade, has 40 students, who's losing out there? Well, you could argue that all the students that left Mrs. Smith thought that they were getting a lesser education there. 
Mrs. Jones might be overworked here at this point because she has twice as many students. But those students aren't going to stay there unless the parents believe they're getting the proper education or they're getting the outcome they want. And this is where you've got your teacher's aides and your helpers and volunteers and all that stuff. They come into play, right? Now, I can tell you as a rowdy young man, as a, as a poor student, as a child, there were different ways I was dealt with. One of the things was seclusion. One of the things was um, segregation and take away the whatever baggage that word has. Just pull you out of the general population, if you will. And, and then there were punishments. Now, I will tell you that I'm a pretty resilient guy. And the punishments, well, I mean, they had varying effects when I was in grade school. And the segregation in um, grade school and I guess to a lesser degree in middle school didn't exactly get them the results they were looking for. The isolation worked to an extent, but all it did is give me time to do what I wanted to do when I was in school. Now, I was one of those students, and I know this is kind of uh, maybe not somewhere I want to go, not necessarily something I want public, but I was generally considered smarter than the vast majority of my classmates. Now, could I be in the top third or top 10%? Don't know. Don't care. That's not the point. But schools then and now are catered to going towards the middle. Now, if you've got a little Mary or a little Andy that are perfectly good, well-behaved students, and even if they're far accelerated from the majority of their students that they're in a class with, they're content and they'll be well-behaved. And then you got a guy like me. Um, I wasn't content. I wanted to do my own thing. And of course, then when you run out of things to do, you look for things to do. And typically when you're looking for things to do, uh, that grabs the wrong kind of attention. Of course, you know, that just builds upon itself. So if you would target the different educational environments or the different ways of doing things, you can find ways to accommodate students that have different learning styles, different temperaments, instead of drugging them into oblivion, which is another problem with generalized education, particularly at the government level. So again, we want to be really clear here. Very little of this has to do with sliding the, the parents. We want what's best for the parents and their children. Very little of this has to do with talking down or dismissing the role that teachers play. No, most teachers do a great job. Most teachers want to do a good job. A lot of teachers need to be rewarded for their efforts that maybe are, maybe not, depending on the situation. And they need to find a way that they can achieve well and succeed and make it beneficial as opposed to being burned out in that system. And then, of course, when you get to the librarians and other staff in the school district. Now, one of the other things that people don't like to talk about is most of the growth in the school districts is based upon administrative roles. And those administrative roles exist so that they can do compliance with state and federal guidelines in order to get more money. And usually the net effect is a bare minimum more money after you factor in all the additional expenses in order to achieve that more money. But again, they don't really care because they're concerned about growing their budget. This way, we're turning this on their head. This is about performance. This is about how well do the students excel? How well are the teachers thought of? How well is the 
individual school or the individual district thought in comparison to the neighboring schools and districts. This is a different way of looking at school choice. Setting aside the idea that you maybe go to private school or you maybe go homeschool. Now, in the greater scheme of things here, a lot of people that talk about school choice are actually talking about, I want to be able to pull little Joseph out of the school district and go into a a non-government school. I want to go to a private school. But being that the government is already taking, let's just make up a number here, $8,000 a year from me for the school district, I ought to be able to get back, we'll just give a nice round number, three quarters of that money, which means I get $6,000 back or credited to my account, if you will. Now, I'm going to tell you here, if you're looking to put little Joseph into a private school and that private school knows that because you're utilizing some kind of voucher or whatever program, their incentive is to not lower the price to encourage you to come to their private school. No, they know you're going to get that extra $6,000. So instead of charging, oh, I don't know. I don't know what an average school charges now for grade school. Let's just say it's $8,000. I mean, it's the same as what the public school or the government school takes from you already. And it's an additional $8,000. So in effect, you're paying double to put little Joseph in a non-government school, right? A private school. And you're making the argument that I don't mind having to pay more, but I don't have to, I shouldn't have to pay double. I, I, I feel for you. I agree with you. It is kind of a racket. It's a lose-lose for you. I, I've been brought to my attention that if you take away that money from the school district, the school district suffers. Maybe. They get a certain amount of money based upon how many students are enrolled, how many students actually show up, but then they have certain fixed costs that they must cover. So if you've got a school district that had, let's just say 20,000 students, and next year they have 18,000 students, they have a 10% decrease in the amount of students they have, doesn't necessarily equate to a 10% increase, or I'm sorry, a decrease in the amount of money they're getting. But if you let them keep right? They, they get to capture $2,000 and you're not actually there taking advantage of any of the things that they offer and you're not in that school district. The question is, is that school district still ahead? To me, that's a good question. And I, and I would like a legitimate answer by an outside third party that doesn't have an ax grind or a dog in that hunt or whatever your preferred uh, explanation is. I would like to know legitimately how much are the fixed funds, I'm sorry, how much are the fixed expenses and what's your variable based on the amount of students that you have and is there a way that you can eliminate some of those fixed expenses whether they are buildings and other materials or staff that don't actually teach students. Something to consider there. When I went to grade school, we had a principal we might've had a vice principal. I don't seem to remember. And we had about five or six ladies that worked in the office. And then we had all our teachers and some lunchroom staff and whatever else. And that school seemed to work just fine. And I, quite frankly, did spend quite a bit of time with the principal during certain parts of the year. (laughs) 
So I, I saw what was going on. He had a lot on his plate. He was a busy guy. And, and as a young adult, much later in life, if you will, I appreciated what he did for me to some extent. And I appreciated what he did for this school, but I didn't see that he needed 15 administrators to do what he was doing. Now I imagine there was a whole lot less paperwork and a whole lot less uh, interference with that individual school back then than there is now. But that tells us that we are capable and we have previously done the job without all this government intervention. Which means that if we find a way to lessen the amount of government, lessen the amount of intervention and interference in how the schools run, we might in fact get a more productive school. Again, some of this could be achieved through school choice as far as I can move within the district or I can move to a neighboring district. Now, is that perfect? Is it going to answer every question? No. And then we still have to deal with the idea that there are a lot of parents that feel like they're being taken advantage of because they're having to pay twice. So how do we compensate them? How do we work this out with them? Well, my answer would be for every school district, right? Every person that lives within that district has a set fee that they pay regardless if they have a student going there or not. And it's not based on the value of the property. It's just based on the fact that you live there. So if you live in a $10,000 trailer on a $50,000 lot, or you live in a half a million dollar uh, house on a half a million dollar lot, you each get the same bill from that school district Because your house is in that school district. Now, maybe it doesn't sound fair. Maybe it's a, you know, a bonus to the guy that's got the more expensive house. But realistically, if everybody that lives in the district pays the same price to live in that district, that will spread load that out. Now, here's where it gets interesting. If you have a student that is attending that school over and above your set payment that you do, you get a bill for that student. So we do away with this idea that the public schools are free or the public schools have no cost or direct cost to you. They do. It's your taxes. Say right now, and I I don't know what the amount is, but let's just say right now you pay four grand a year in taxes um, based upon the appraisal in the school district you live in. And some people pay, a thousand and some people pay 10,000. But if you just break that down and say, we have 10,000 lots in this school district, we have 5,000 students or whatever it is. And we need to make sure that we have at least $8,000 per student. Now, again, I'm making all these numbers up. I'm not keeping track. It doesn't really matter. You simply divide the number of students and then assess a bill of a thousand dollars per student or $2,000 per student or whatever to each family. And then the remainder gets divided equally about everybody that owns property within that district. Now I realize that if you've got acreage, that's different. It's going to be per house unit. So if you've got 
10 acres in a single house, that's fine. At this point, this is where you can incentivize people who do have this money and they say, well, you know, out of the kindness and goodness of my heart, I want to give more money to the school district. Perhaps I want to make a donation because I've done so well and I want to give back. And you encourage them. Maybe you name a field after them or you name a building after them. Or perhaps, you know, this is where it's a partnership. But nobody's excited about paying their school taxes. Nobody has any real direct control over their participation in that. A lot of people will move to an area to take benefit of what's perceived as a good school district. And that, that should be encouraged. And if it's a good school district, people will move there and they'll pay to move there. And if they have to pay a little bit of direct money in order for little Joseph, little Johnny, little Mary, Margaret, whatever, to go to those schools, they should be more than willing to pay for that since they're not getting taxed out of their house. These are alternative ways to fund the school district. You see, the re- in my opinion, the real issue is government's trying to do something that governments ought not be doing. This whole Prussian system was put in place by a bunch of Yankees that thought to, that they could create good little soldiers or good little um, worker bees at the factories. But in fact, that's not what we really want or need at this time and point in history or in our country. And how do we move back? How do we get beyond that? You got to look at other options. Now, I know I've touched on this twice and I haven't given you a direct answer, but here's what you really need to look at. If you feel strongly enough that you want to put your children in a private school, yeah, you're going to pay more. You just need to pay more. No, we're going to try and lessen the burden by doing some of these other things we've talked about. We're going to try and take less from you on the get-go. But if your children are truly worth it, if, if you're willing to value them, you're going to be willing to pay the price. You're going to be willing to make that investment in your children. You shouldn't be guilting everybody else for something you're taking responsibility for. And you should take responsibility for it. That's a good thing. It's a valuable thing that you invest in. In fact, for many people, their most important thing in their lives is their children. So I really don't see the issue here. Now, if money is the biggest concern, and I got to be honest, for a lot of people, money is the biggest concern because you can't survive without it. So if you don't want to incur that extra expense, but you want to save the money by not enrolling your child and you homeschool or you sign up for some kind of co-op, you can do that for very little money. Plus under this plan, right? This idea I've rolled out now, it won't work in the current situation, but you ought to be able to take advantage of that savings to invest in the education. Work with some neighbors, some other families at your church, you know, whatever. You start a co-op or a club of, you know, alternative education ways of doing things. It can be done without damaging the underlying practice of having government education. Now, all this being said, all this being laid out, this does kind of sound like a pipe dream. I freely admit it. We started with what is, we talked about how we could maybe implement school choice that has less impact. And then we talked about other options other than the government schools. But the reality is you have to want it. You have to want to invest and take the time and effort and invest it in your children, the next generation, 
and then advocate effectively to accomplish that. And as of right now, I I just don't know that there's enough desire, enough people that got skin in the game that want to do this. So rather than going to government to give you a solution, we should be working to provide our own solutions. Rather than depending on government to give away power they've already seized, to devolve from their grandiose control over our lives, we need to be showing that we don't need them. We need to act without them. The opportunity is there. The onus is on us. Seize the day, my friends. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I went way over that 20 minutes I talked about, which is good. This is a very important subject. It's it's complicated. There's a lot to unpack here. Oh boy, I hate that term, but it's true. It's true. There's a lot of things that we have to look at and how they fit together and there's different pieces. And this just was a primer on the issue. But there are options. There are solutions. We just have to be willing to work towards them. And with that, this has been According to Callus, and I will see you on the other side.